Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. And we continue this hour with our health lead and the acceleration of coronavirus globally, with more than 60% of all coronavirus cases in the world reported just in the last month, according to the World Health Organization. Just look at this map showing the surge of cases in the United States over the past two weeks, the number of new cases soaring in 37 states. And in the wake of this escalation, at least 19 states have paused or pulled back their reopening plans. In the last hour, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered restaurants, movie theaters, museums, and more to stop indoor operations in 19 counties in California. More than 127,000 people have died from coronavirus in the United States as of now, though health experts have long warned the actual death toll is likely much higher. A new study out today finding there may be as many as 30,000 more coronavirus deaths in this country than had originally been reported. California is seeing such explosive growth in new cases and hospitalizations. The state's Democratic governor now re-implementing restrictions. CNN's Nick Watt is in Los Angeles for us. Nick, indoor activities will be closed for 19 counties in the state? That's right, Jake. And these are not 19 small counties. These are some of the big ones, including Los Angeles, home to 10 million people, neighboring Orange County, Ventura, Santa Barbara, Sacramento. This is big news. He is hitting pause and rolling back a little. He is also sending strike teams into those 19 counties where he sees a particular issue. Jake, California's got a problem. Nearly 10,000 new cases reported across California today, smashing the record. So every state beach parking lot in Southern California and the Bay Area will now be closed for the 4th of July weekend. A weekend that has raised um, a lot of concern. Bars, dine-in restaurants and movie theaters will also now close again in 19 Californian counties for at least three weeks. And today, a daily death toll in this state like we haven't seen since April. Do not take your guard down. Uh, Please do not uh, believe uh, those that somehow want to manipulate the reality. Over in Florida, 10,000 new cases logged in Miami-Dade in just the past week and record numbers now hospitalized in Arizona. I know we'll get through this. Where the vice president just touched down to meet with the Republican governor. I'm not sure what more we can do uh, with the the sort of a total shutdown. Record high hospitalizations also in Texas. We moved out too fast before we had uh, testing and tracing fully in place. While we opened in phases, we went from one phase to the next phase to the next phase too quickly, so we weren't able to see the data. He's echoing Dr. Anthony Fauci, one of the most respected voices on this virus, but no longer respected by all. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We haven't skipped over anything. The only thing I'm skipping over is listening to him. He has been wrong every time on every issue. 
I don't need his advice anymore. Across the country, the average number of new cases every day has near doubled in just the past two weeks. 37 states are seeing their case counts climb, 19 of them now pausing or rolling back reopening. New York City was due to open indoor dining Monday. Not anymore. We started out outdoor dining on a vast scale a few weeks ago. It is going great. It is much safer. So we're going to double down in that direction. And a new warning from the federal official in charge of testing. Now testing alone will not be enough. Testing is critical, but we cannot test our way out of the current outbreaks. We must disciplined about our own personal behavior, especially around the July 4th holiday, and especially among the young adults. Now, of course, a vaccine would be the game changer. Some positive news from Pfizer today about the one that they are working on. But listen, even if we get a vaccine by January, as many people hope we will, it could then take many months after that to get it distributed and to get enough people vaccinated to make a difference. Jake. All right, Nick Watt in Los Angeles, thank you so much. Joining us now, CNN Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, uh, take a look at the rapidly rising number of cases in California. California was one of the first states to lock down, and still it's dealing with record infections, a more than 40% increase in hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. They have been aggressive from the beginning. Why is it not working for them? What's going wrong? Yeah. Well, first of all, Jake, you know, uh, the virus doesn't lie and, and, the, and the statistics don't lie. Right. I mean, that's one thing we're dealing with numbers here. I think sometimes people come and call the numbers into question. They are what they are. And, and so then it's important to try and figure out why this might be. And when you're dealing with a, a large population of people, uh, that can be hard to figure out. I mean, people could be having large private family gatherings with extended family and neighbors. That's one of the things Governor Newsom has been particularly worried about because those are harder to track. And then people go back to their own homes and this starts to spread. So I think that that's, that's one of the concerns here. Also, you know, Jake, you, you get an idea of what explosive growth means. You hear that term a lot, but it's like that old childhood sort of thing. I give you a penny today, two pennies tomorrow, four pennies the next day. Would you rather have that or a million dollars at the end of the month? And the answer is the pennies because it'd be worth five million at the end of the month. My point is that if you start to double every so often, the numbers can grow significantly. And in a place like California, L.A. specifically, that's what we're seeing. The other thing that you and I have talked about is that you and Fauci have both noted that there's not one state that opened according to the White House Coronavirus Task Force plans. Not one of them uh, waited until they had the 14 days in a row of reduction, et cetera, et cetera. None of them have the kind of contact tracing that is needed. And yet all of them, and yes, there was pressure from President Trump and from the business community and others, all of them opened early, including California. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they did. I mean, the criteria were laid out. Uh, we reported on those criteria at the time, explained why the gating criteria existed. The first thing, you want to see this 14-day downward trend. And the, and the reason that exists is not just an arbitrary thing. If you get 14 days in a row of downward trend, uh, first of all, you'll probably get uh, to a really low number, number one. But number two, whatever it is, you have a much better way of, of getting your arms around it to actually track and trace all the people who are testing positive. Uh, if the number's too high, as we're seeing in many states, uh, it just, it's, it's nearly an impossible task to actually go and trace and complete the other part of this public health tool.
You heard the Republican Lieutenant Governor of, of Texas, Dan Patrick, uh, saying he doesn't need to hear anything more from Dr. Fauci. Fauci doesn't know what he's talking about, obviously. Um, Fauci knows quite a bit, a lot more than Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Texas is obviously seeing a major surge in infections and hospitalizations. Uh, what do you think when you hear Lieutenant Governor Patrick bashing Anthony Fauci? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know what specifically Lieutenant Governor is referring to. I mean, he, he came out and said, look, we followed every, met every criteria. We can show, let's show this, uh, you know, the, the Texas case count. And keep in mind, uh, Texas was slow to close down the state and quick to open. Uh, the, that's the hospitalization. And we have another one that actually shows the case count uh, in the two weeks before they opened up. Okay, so take a look there, Jake. Uh, they opened up on May 1st. That was always their intent. They're supposed to have a 14-day downward trend. I mean, look, you know, as I said earlier, the data doesn't lie. They had one of their highest days the day before they opened. The concern when you do that is that you could be basically creating momentum around new infections and it might start to spiral out of control. That's not the time to, to reopen. That's why the criteria exists. So he says they, they followed every single criteria. Well, this is the first criteria, 14-day downward trend. Jake, again, these are the two weeks leading up to when they opened. It's not a 14-day downward trend. Nope. Uh, a new study in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, finds that the number of deaths from coronavirus could actually be 28% higher than the official yeah. count, which is closing in on 130,000. How do they even determine that? Well, they go back and they, they actually will start to look at uh, death certificates and look at something known as excess deaths. I don't mean to sound too grim here, but this is how that sort of work is done. And what they found that there were about 120 or so excess, 120,000, excuse me, excess deaths uh, during this time period where the study was done. Now, they also recognized that there wasn't a lot of testing, as you know, initially, uh, and still isn't. So it was hard to confirm people who had died of, of coronavirus. But also, you know, people were dying from uh, things that weren't traditional sort of respiratory issues. You may remember, Jake, people had strokes, people had pulmonary embolisms, there were people having heart attacks. And then when you go back and sort of look at that data, you start to realize that many of those deaths may have, in fact, been attributable to, uh, to COVID. The number of deaths per day has declined precipitously in the U.S. over the last several weeks. That's something that we haven't been covering much because the number of cases is going up. We keep hearing that young yeah. people are making up a significant portion of new cases in, in the U.S. Is that why you think the death rate has dropped? And are you expecting that death rate to go back up given the explosion of new cases? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's two things. One, one is exactly what you mentioned, and I was spending some time with some experts on my sources today on this, this very issue. As you start to do more what we call surveillance testing, so you're testing out in the community and you're testing people who are asymptomatic, these younger people, uh, you are likely to see more infections but fewer deaths. That's, that's good, you know, and, and I think overall, if you look at the numbers on the right side of the screen, that would suggest a 5% fatality rate. We know it's lower than that. We know there's a lot more people out there who have the infection who, who have not been officially counted. The other thing I think, and this is an optimistic thing, is that we have gotten better at treating patients. You know, it was all about ventilators first. But again, this isn't a typical respiratory illness. So ventilators in some cases prove to be harmful. We have a, a few therapeutics now, which could potentially be beneficial. But, but unfortunately, Jake, I think it's that second point that you're making, which I think deaths, sadly, is a lagging indicator. 
there will be more deaths at, with more infections because people will start to spread this to, to other vulnerable people. That's what we've seen in countries around the world, and that's what we've seen here in this country just a couple of months ago. Yeah, it usually comes increase in cases, then increase in hospitalizations, then increase in deaths. We're somewhere in between 0.1 and 2 now. We're seeing increased hospitalizations in different parts around the country. Right. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much for your time today. A former yeah. Marine and current congressman says that Trump has been displaying treasonous behavior, slamming the president's handling of intelligence on Russian bounties. Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat of Massachusetts, will join me next. Plus, Vladimir Putin could soon be able to stay in power for another 15 years. How President Trump might be making it easier, easier for Putin to tighten his grip on power. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, President Trump today making an absurd allegation on Twitter saying that intelligence reports about Russia offering Taliban terrorists bounties to kill American service members are all a hoax made up by the media, he says. Not true. The president also called street paintings of the words Black Lives Matter a, quote, symbol of hate. The president also suggested the only way to save the heritage of the United States is to reelect him in November. You may recall the words of Trump's first Secretary of Defense, Marine General Jim Mattis, quote, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us, unquote. CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now. As the U.S. reports record highs of new coronavirus cases, President Trump repeated his claim that the pandemic will soon disappear. I think that at some point uh, that's going to sort of just disappear, I hope. You still believe so? Disappear? Well, I do. I do. Yeah, sure. At some point. And I think we're going to have a vaccine very soon, too. Lately, Trump has ignored grim assessments from his own health officials and instead focused on stoking cultural battles. After New York slashed the police budget by a billion dollars, Trump rebuked the city's plan to paint Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue, calling it a symbol of hate that would denigrate the luxury street and further antagonize New York's finest. The city's mayor confirmed it's partially a message to the president. We're going to make it really clear to the president it's going to be right outside his doorstep. We want the president to hear it because he's never shown respect for those three words. Thank the you. last task force Trump created focused on coronavirus, but today the Department of Homeland Security formed another on protecting monuments, memorials, and statues as Trump has vowed they won't be removed on his watch. Trump is even positioning himself for a fight with Congress over the matter, threatening to veto a defense spending act because it includes a provision to rename military bases named for Confederate leaders. Though the bill includes raising soldiers' pay, the press secretary has said Trump is serious about his threat. The president will not be signing legislation that renames America's forts. Trump's political advisors fear he's distracted from the health crisis facing the country as he continued to insist today that those reports of Russians offering to pay the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers are fake news. I agree with the intelligence people. I think, frankly, that many of the intelligence people didn't think it was something that even happened. But he didn't explain why his national security advisor drew up plans in case they weren't. Here at the White House, when we had this raw intelligence, we started an interagency process to look at options so that if the, if the intelligence turned out to be verified, if it could be corroborated, then we'd have options to go to the president with to address the Russian situation. 
And Jake, lawmakers have only been calling for more information about what the intelligence agencies know, and some of them will get it tomorrow when it's going to be the highest level briefing yet on what's been going on. That's going to be for the Gang of Eight, those congressional leaders from both parties and the heads of the intelligence committees. And it's going to be given by some of the intelligence officers they've been asking to hear from. The CIA director, the director of the National Security Agency, and the president's director of national intelligence will also be there tomorrow during this briefing at about 11.30 on Capitol Hill. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House for us, as always. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joining us now, Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, who served in Iraq as a platoon leader with the U.S. Marines. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. You said today that the way President Trump has handled this entire controversy is, quote, treasonous. Obviously, treason is one of the worst crimes anyone can commit against their country. How is this treasonous? It's aiding and abetting our enemy. Russia is our enemy. The Taliban is an enemy of the United States. And what the president has done with his complicit silence, with his undebatable dereliction of duty in refusing to take action to protect our troops is absolutely aiding our enemy. So you also said that American kids are dead because of the president's inaction. As, as I understand it, intelligence is still investigating whether or not uh, these bounties can be um, pinpointed on any specific attack, though there is an April 2019 attack that killed three Marines um, that, that they are looking at. Are you confident placing that level of blame on intelligence that is not yet verified? I'm confident with everything we know. Jake, intelligence is never 100%. Okay, we didn't have 100% certainty that Osama bin Laden was in that uh, was in that compound in Pakistan when President Obama made the command decision to take him out. If I, as a platoon commander, received a report that my platoon might get ambushed, that perhaps we would get blown up by a mine, and I failed to say, well, you know, we should take mine-resistant vehicles. Perhaps I said, it's not 100%, so we're just going to go out on foot, and my platoon got blown up. I wouldn't be on Twitter defending myself, I would be in prison because that is the basic level of command responsibility ex expected of the most junior officers in our military. And so for Trump to deny that as commander in chief is the ultimate dereliction of duty. I, I have a lot of uh, friends in the military, uh, nothing like you of course who served, but, but one of the first reactions I got was from a mom uh, whose son uh, has served uh, in Afghanistan, and she was just so distressed that President Trump's, well, at, A, at the, at the news, although Russians meaning us ill is not, is not exactly new, but, but at President Trump's reaction, which was most about passing the buck, I didn't get briefed, I don't know anything about it, and we still have yet to hear anything. He's attacking the New York Times and not attacking at all Putin or the GRU, uh, which allegedly did this. I mean, thank God Trump reads the New York Times because he doesn't seem to read his intelligence briefings. And thank God the New York Times made this story public so our troops would know because the commander-in-chief and his team refused to take action. I mean, we also heard today Mike uh, Pompeo, the Secretary of State, trying to say, oh, well, this wasn't verified. He knows better than that. And we ought to be asking, what did Mike Pompeo know? What did the Secretary of Defense Esper know? What did Vice President Pence know? 
and yet refuse to take action to protect our troops. Because every mother or father with a son or daughter on the front lines today has to be concerned, has to be concerned that people at the highest level of our chain of command are not doing everything they can to protect our troops. You know, it reminds me, when I was in Iraq, George W. Bush was my commander-in-chief. Okay, I didn't vote for him twice. I disagreed with his war even though I was fighting in it. But I never imagined that George W. Bush would refuse to take action on intelligence that he had in the Oval Office to keep me and my Marines safe. This is truly a new low I get your reaction. for the president. I want to get your reaction to a claim President Trump just made during uh, comments uh, he made to, at Fox Business. Take a listen. From what I hear, and I hear it pretty good, uh, the intelligence people didn't even, many of them didn't believe it happened at all. I think it's a hoax. I think it's a hoax by the newspapers and the Democrats. Your response, sir? It's just absurd. Doesn't matter how many people believe it or not. Doesn't matter if it's 100% verified. You're the commander in chief. You're responsible for the lives of young Americans. You do everything in your power to keep them safe. And this president did nothing. Why? Because he's more concerned about his liability with Russia. He's more concerned about his political future than the lives of our American troops of our American heroes, not draft dodgers like him, but the people who are volunteering to, say, to put their lives on the line for our country, for our constitution, and our values. And I think every American, including every Republican who's still out there trying to deflect or defend the president here, needs to think about what that means on this 4th of July. Democratic Congressman and Marine veteran Seth Moulton, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Coming up, he just wrote a book about America and race, and he has now recovered from coronavirus. Comedian D.L. Hughley joins me next. Stay with us. In just the last 24 hours, President Trump has taken to Twitter to further seek to divide American people. He talked about saving the nation's, quote, heritage, which is perceived as a nod to those who defend the legacy of the Confederacy. He called Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate. He threatened to veto a bipartisan military spending bill because of one provision that allows the military to remove the names of Confederate generals from 10 army bases. He came out against a federal housing law that is aimed at combating segregation, calling it devastating. Again, this is all just since our show yesterday. My next guest is out with a new book on America's reckoning with race. Comedian D.L. Hughley joins me now. His book is titled Surrender white people are unconditional terms for peace. Okay, I surrender, D.L. Thanks for joining us. What do you make of the president's attacks on, on, on Black Lives Matter and, and protesters and his threats to protect monuments and statues of Confederate leaders? How do you see it all? Well, I see it as, as quintessentially American. It, we've always had that uh, kind of dichotomy. Like even the people, like Donald Trump is saying, basically Black Lives Matter is a symbol of hate while signing an executive order a week ago that actually protected symbols of hate. Like, who's who's responsible for more deaths, Black Lives Matter or Andrew Jackson? Um, so it's not even, it's not even, but, but that's what we're dealing with. That same man talked about how he was appalled at what happened to, uh, to uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, but he fights for the monuments of men who did far worse to black people. Like, 
what is our our idea of what is important to us? We have built why why do the only predicate for some of these men getting statues is how brutal they were to black people. Like we haven't the only last statue we we'll, we built to a guy that didn't uh, brutalize black people was Rocky and he beat the hell out of Apollo Creed. So I guess he qualifies. But we're obsessed with these kinds of things. So your book is is hilarious. It suggests. Uh, the white people sign a peace treaty uh, with black Americans. And one of your resolutions, you make the case for no more bronze statues of anyone. You write, quote, let's make statues out of something easy to get rid of. Statues should be temporary, like your emotions. We should note that just moments ago, in what was once the capital of the Confederacy, the mayor of Richmond, Virginia, is using emergency powers to order the removal of Confederate statues in his city. Um, Tell us about what you think this moment is for the American people in terms of reckoning uh, with these Confederate leaders? Because there really is a lot of change going on. And I absolutely, I think that, you know, obviously we were all locked down together, the whole world was, and we were forced to see things that probably made us, uh, you know, wince and and, and be more introspective. And I really think that there is a moment, I don't know how fragile it is, I don't know how substantive it is, where people are at least willing to listen to the conversations about race. We, we talk about who we are. There's a statue right now in New York to a man who is the father of modern gynecology. And what he did was he, he performed um, sur- surgery on enslaved black women with no anesthesia. And because the belief was that black people didn't feel pain, that idea still permeates the medical profession right now. where we're not uh, treated medically properly because they believe we actually can't feel pain. So that is not just a vestige of the past. It's a connection to what we're going through right now. And the way that you rid, do, uh, we have to rid America needs to rid itself of this idea that one group is supreme and the other group is inferior. And we built an entire structure around that. And it really needs to be disassembled. Which you, which you can do by buying the book and signing on the peace treaty at the end and meeting me at the Magic Johnson Theater. So it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> you, I have to ask you, you only learned you had coronavirus after you fainted on that stage at a show in Nashville. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, man. But, you know, it, it, it also, it, it, I, didn't, I had no idea that I had it and had I not fainted, uh, I wouldn't have known. And I was what was called asymptomatic. Um, and, you know, subsequently, uh, everybody in my radio uh, broadcast uh, arena, all of them have tested positive. My son has. So I was a typhoid Mary. But the point the point is, I didn't know I had it and I was doing harm without being aware of it. I was asymptomatic. And I think people are that way about race, too. Just because they're not actively doing anything doesn't mean harm isn't being done in their behest. Harm is actually being dumb. Just being benign is not is not enough to say you're not involved because you can be benign and still just like this disease, things can happen in terms of racially, too. Look at you spinning a beautiful metaphor. The book is Surrender <laughs> White People. The comedian is D.L. Hughley. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Thanks, man. Likewise, man. Take care. Thank you. Coming up with this small gesture, Georgia's Republican governor just broke with President Trump, and he's not the only Republican doing so. That's next. In our health lead, President Trump continues to refuse to wear a mask in public, but moments ago he said he is not against masks. In fact, he he said he likes the way he looks in them. I'm all for masks. I think masks are good. I would wear, if I were in a group of people and I was close. You would wear one? 
Oh, I would, I would, oh, I have. I mean, people have seen me wearing one. I sort of like the way I looked. The president has been in groups of people with no masks to be found, such as at his rally in Tulsa, where several Trump campaign staffers and Secret Service agents ended up testing positive for the novel coronavirus, or in literally any Rose Garden appearance he has made since the pandemic began, leaving other Republican officials to set an example. CNN's Diane Gallagher joins us now. And Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, is on a wear a mask tour around Georgia, but he has not mandated them? No, and look, according to the governor just this morning, it doesn't look likely that he will. Governor Brian Kemp, before getting on that plane to go to six different cities in two days for the sole purpose of encouraging Georgia citizens to wear masks, says that right now it's something that maybe he would consider, but he hasn't been able or had the time to look at the legal uh, issues that might come with that. And really, he thinks that Well, the people in Georgia and the businesses here, they'll just use their good judgment. They don't need to be mandated. He also complained about how masks have become political. The whole mask issue um, right now, in my opinion, is being over-politicized, and that's not what we should be doing. We don't have time for politics right now. Yeah, the state of Georgia set a record for uh, coronavirus infections just last week. Jake, tomorrow, as he wraps up that tour of the different cities in Georgia, he's going to be uh, joined by the Surgeon General Jerome Adams, who, of course, has also been a proponent of mask wearing. Yeah, we should point out the, the people politicizing wearing masks are led by President Trump. Um, although there are a number of Republicans, not just Governor Kemp, who are trying to fill the void and emphasize the importance of wearing masks. Yeah, and and Jake, look, it appears that the president's comments today, maybe he's falling in line with some of the Republicans. He's finally joining the mask party because, look, uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that there should be no stigma associated with wearing masks recently, saying that we should wear them to protect ourselves and others. Uh, Minority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy also saying to wear masks. Marco Rubio saying just wear the damn mask. We've heard quite a bit from Republicans over the past week or so uh, Uh, something we weren't hearing beforehand or seeing beforehand from Republicans. But much of this comes as red states are experiencing this growth in coronavirus infections uh, like we're seeing here in Georgia. And so, look, Brian Kemp has said that he wants people to wear masks. He's not going to mandate it. There are some cities, though, including Savannah, Georgia, one that he's not going to be visiting, that have passed uh, regulations within their own city limits to go ahead and mandate mask wearing, something we're seeing in many states that haven't done it overall. The cities are doing so instead. All right, Diane Gallagher in Atlanta, Georgia, thank you so much. Children so far seem to be less severely affected as a general assumption by coronavirus than adults, but that does not mean children are not spreading the virus. An alarming new study, that's next. In our health lead, children may be able to spread the deadly coronavirus just as easily as adults. That's according to Swiss researchers who looked at 23 children who tested positive for the virus, ranging in age from seven days to 16 years. Joining us now, Dr. Ashish Jha, director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. Dr. Jha, good to have you on again. Researchers found no reason to discount kids as COVID carriers, but this is a, a pretty small sample size 
And they, they also say that children still do not seem to be a major driver of transmission. So how much stock do you put into this particular study? Yeah, thanks, Jake, for having me on. I, you know, you're, those are exactly right. It's a small study. Um, we, the good news is kids generally don't get sick, and, and we don't have a ton of evidence uh, about how much they spread. But I think this study is one more piece of evidence that kids do spread the virus, and it just makes it that much more compelling that we really think hard about how to open up uh, schools safely this fall. Well, what does it mean? I mean, obviously, if kids can spread it and in some rare but still factual occurrences get sick from it, uh, some have died from it, what should we be doing, given the fact that the American Academy of Pediatrics and Dr. Fauci and others are saying we need to reopen schools in the fall? How do we do that? Yeah, so the single biggest determinant of whether we're going to be able to open schools and keep schools open is how much virus there is in the community. So when I look at large parts of the country right now and think if that's the level of virus we have going into September, we're not gonna be able to keep schools open. So we've gotta get aggressive about bringing virus levels down and accept that kids will do a little bit of transmission and hopefully very few of them will actually end up getting sick themselves. Uh, But the level of virus in this country is gonna make it very difficult unless we get aggressive by bringing it down. And what would some of the risks associated with reopening schools be um, beyond the spread of the virus? Uh, Children do appear to be less affected by the virus. So I guess in some ways it, it means just a bigger threat to the community as well as to teachers and parents and grandparents. Yeah, exactly right. So imagine that you've got, imagine right now uh, in Phoenix schools were opening. What would happen is that kids would show up. They, they might be infected themselves with mild symptoms. They would spread it to others, maybe a little less efficiently than adults, but still spread it. They'd spread it to their teachers and staff and they'd go home and, and they'd spread it to their parents and grandparents. So they would just, they would become another source. And given that all these kids are getting together indoors, I think we'd see large outbreaks in schools and it would become very untenable to keep schools open. That's why you gotta keep the virus in the community low because if we can do that, then we can open schools. And of course, I, like everybody else, desperately wanna open schools this fall. Um, we just have to get aggressive about virus levels in the community. But schools aren't open right now, and in most places, I don't think camps are either. So we don't have these, you know, little super carriers running all over the country, uh, running all over the community and then bringing it back home. And yet we're seeing this huge spike in cases all all over the country. Most states are having an increase. Uh, What do we need to do uh, to get a handle on this other than just pausing the reopening plans? What should governors be doing right now? Yes, I think this is about the time when governors have to look themselves in the mirror and and look at their senior leadership and say, how much do we care about opening schools this fall? If the answer is they care a lot, then I think the prescription here is pretty straightforward. You can't have bars and gyms open. I'm not sure you can have restaurants open. You've got to have mandatory mask wearing and you've got to push on surveillance, testing, tracing, all the stuff we've been talking about. If you do all of that throughout the summer, I think there's a pretty good chance most states can bring their outbreaks much, much lower levels and then open up schools safely. And then you got to still do stuff like social distancing and tracing and surveillance in schools. But those will be kind of the icing on the cake. The cake is just not having the size of outbreaks we have right now in these communities across America. Is anyone doing it the way you think it should be done? I mean, I don't even know of any state or commonwealth 
that uh, is able to do the contact tracing that you and I have been talking about for months? Yeah, the contact tracing is still moving slowly, and I think uh, there is more and more pressure, and I think states are starting to ramp up. But I've been talking to governors about pauses. I've been talking about whether they want to roll back. And when they understand the choices in stark terms, schools this fall or bars now, those are your choices. I think more and more governors, even in places that aren't having large outbreaks, are realizing that maybe we can avoid bars in the summer and fall if that gives us a better shot at getting schools open this fall. Dr. Ashish Jha, thank you so much for your expertise. As always, we appreciate it. A top Trump administration official shedding light on the relationship between President Trump and Vladimir Putin, saying Putin is a chess grandmaster and Trump is just playing checkers. Stay with us. In our world lead today, President Trump dismissing the Russian bounty intelligence story as a hoax meant to damage him and Republicans. The president often touts his relationship with his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, though new CNN reporting details how Putin, a former top Soviet spymaster, often gets the better of Trump. Quote, Putin just outplays him, said a high-level administration official, comparing the Russian leader to a chess grandmaster and Trump to an occasional player of checkers, unquote. As CNN's Matthew Chance reports for us now, Trump may also be helping Putin consolidate power for years to come. With Putin tightening his grip on the Kremlin, he could point to the U.S. president as one reason for his enduring appeal. I would elect him for another 10 years, says Antonina, who's voting for constitutional changes that could keep Putin in power until 2036. When Trump won in 2016, they celebrated in Russia. Finally, a US leader critical of NATO and the EU, who they believed saw the world their way, Putin's way. Still, few expected him to back the Russian president over his own intelligence agencies on allegations of US election meddling. Even Putin looked uncomfortable at the 2018 Helsinki summit, intervening to insist President Trump had disagreed with him on something. President Trump's stance on Crimea is well known and he sticks to it. We have a different point of view. But apparent bows to Kremlin interests didn't end. In 2019, President Trump announced a sudden pullout of U.S. forces from Syria, abandoning Kurdish allies, allowing Russian forces to take over deserted U.S. bases, filling the vacuum and a long-standing Kremlin goal. U.S. officials later clarified some forces would stay to secure the oil. But in other conflicts, like Ukraine, Trump also played well to the Russian audience. Threats to suspend vital military aid fueled bitter impeachment hearings in Washington. It was music to the Kremlin's ears as their forces backed rebels in the country's east. Now, as Russians look set to endorse Putin for potentially another 16 years, Trump's apparent soft spot for the Kremlin's strongman amid allegations of Russian bounties to kill US troops is being tested again. Well, Jake, on that issue of Russian bounties, the Kremlin are sticking to the White House line, calling it a hoax and a lie. They're also criticising the American media, what they say is spreading uh, propaganda about Russia. In other words, saying exactly what they always say when allegations of Russian wrongdoing are presented to them. Jake. 
All right, Matthew Chance with that important report from London. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can follow the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 